Well, we're continuing in the book of Acts. Uh, we've got about another three or four weeks of the book of Acts, and so excited about the fact that we didn't stop when we could have, but we didn't. And we kept going. I hope you're as excited about that as, as we are, and as, as a staff, as we've been able to preach. And I just appreciate the Lord has given us such a teaching team here and continues to use that, and, and people continue to, and to be able to watch uh, many of our, even our staff members, to grow in their faith and grow in their walk and grow in their calling. And it's just awesome to get to be a part of that. And so, uh, yeah. Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem in Acts 20. So we're going to be reading from today and uh, be camping out. He's on his way back, and we talked about Ephesus a lot recently, but he's on his way back, but he decides not to stop in Ephesus. He could have, but he decided, and he stops at Miletus, and, and he calls the leaders of the church of Ephesus to him. He asked them to come to him. It's about a day and a half journey, 30 miles. He could have gone there. But Paul, I'm guessing, he's looking at this. If you, if you read Scripture, that I'm not going to read right now, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He wants to get there before Pentecost. And he may be like some of you. Have you ever had anybody call you and you don't want to answer because you know it should be a three-minute conversation, but it's going to be a 30-minute one? Anybody ever had that? <laughs> you don't return the call because you go, hey, I don't want to because I know how long it's going to take. I think that's kind of what Paul was looking at with the leaders at Ephesus. He knows if I go there, I'm going to stay too long. If I go there, it's not going to be easy to depart. They're passionate. I mean, I've poured into those guys and gals. There's an unbelievable work going on there. So he kind of goes, okay, I am trying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. So that's what he's trying to do. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 20, and we're going to go 17. There's a lot of verses, 17 through 37 today, and hopefully this will be of some help to you today. But when he landed in Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I've done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I've never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of, <clears throat> know that none of you to whom uh, I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know the false teachers, the vicious wolves, and will come among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. 
Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watching care of you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust to you, God, trust to you, God, and the message of His grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those He has set apart for Himself. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried and they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him to the ship. Paul just drops a bombshell on them. And not that Paul was sick and dying of cancer and it's the last time. It's nothing like that. Paul's going, I'm not going to see you again. And for those guys and gals, it had to be devastating. He reminds them of the race I've run with you. He reminds them that I've sweat with you, I've laughed with you, I've cried with you, I've dreamed with you, I've done all those things. I have built those relationships with you. But it's coming a time where I'm no longer going to be here. Because for this portion of the race, I am finished. And it's kind of like, and I know it's not a baton, I don't have one here, but he's handing it off. He's going, I may have done the first leg. I may have done the first and second leg. But the third and fourth leg of this thing, it's on you. And he's handing off that baton. And obviously he's come there. One is, is to tell them goodbye. He loves them. Uh, I mean, he, he, he's, he's, you can see it in his writing. You can hear it here. But he's also saying warning and giving instruction And he's given encouragement that God who began the good work in you will be faithful to do what? To finish it. But you've got to be heads up. Be self-controlled and alert. (laughs) You have to be that. But what he was also saying was, this is no longer my responsibility. You should have been growing. You should have been Continuing to become the leaders you were called to be. You were appointed by God to do that. I am no longer responsible for this. But I would say this. The caveat to that, though, would also say, it's kind of like saying to one of your, your, your last child leaves home and go, I'm done. Well, you know it's not done. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not done. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, yeah, I've got some amens all around over here. You, you know it's not done. But you understand I have done the best I can to get you to here. But you have to figure this out, and hopefully you were growing along the way that I can hand you off to this situation. And the other part of that is, is that Paul is not retiring either, obviously, is he? He's not going, oh, I'm done with this missionary work. I'm done with all this. Now, the last thing Paul was doing here was retiring. He's about to go headlong. He said the Holy Spirit's already warned him. He's already told him. Oh, there are hardships ahead, buddy. But Paul keeps moving. 
tired, weary, vulnerable. You know, we use the term around here, a walk in front or vulnerable from the strong. Now, Paul mentions here those who are vulnerable from the weak position. Vulnerable from a weak position is you have no choice. You're just in that moment. Miss one more paycheck, uh, one more bad relationship, one more something, one more you're vulnerable, and man, everything's going to come crashing in. You're vulnerable. But what Paul says, I love in verse 36, just jump to there. He says, work hard for those who are vulnerable. You work hard for those who are in weak position. Let me implore you. I've set the example for that. He's collecting offerings to take back to Jerusalem. He, he, He is working hard. But Paul is not that person. Paul is vulnerable from the strong. Now, vulnerable from the strong is this. We use a phrase around here called a walk in front. A walk in front leader. It's he who walks in front, walks closest to death. And the whole idea behind that is, is that point man in the military, the point person who's out front, the one is walking there on point that's in the most exposed position, not because he hates the enemy, because he loves those behind him. That's what he does it the most for. But he's vulnerable from the strong. He's vulnerable in a sense that he's put himself in that position to take the hit for others. The greatest walking front leader that ever lived, his name is Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul was one of those two. He intentionally put himself in vulnerable positions for the good of others. So what was Paul doing here? Well, a little bit, Paul kind of goes back in his journey here and he again tells them a little bit about the race he had run to this point. I, I read this and I kind of laugh at times because he's talking about how humble he is and things like that, which we say today, if you do that, then you're not very humble, but I would not say that about the Apostle Paul. Okay, he's very clear. This is what I've done. My life has reflected what I'm about to tell you, and you know it. But a couple of things he reminds them of. He said in verse 20, he says, Every truth and encouragement that could have made a difference to you, you got. And he goes on to say, and I I pause a little bit. He said, if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. I think it's interesting that he puts that in there. (laughs) I just want you to know, I've laid it all out for you. See, Paul preached that which brought them divine light. And divine truth brings about a fire to our souls. As Ali preached a few weeks ago, talking about, you know, the fire. It's critical that the fire begins to develop, if nothing else, and then explode in our lives. But I love how the King James verse, the King James version says this. He says, I, Paul says, I kept nothing back that was profitable. I like that phrase. We're not talking about a prosperity gospel here. 
We're talking about a profitable gospel. See, a profitable gospel preaches a message that convicts people. It doesn't, it doesn't preach a message that simply convicts and even leads to sometimes to hardness and eventually to sin. Some people can come in here on a Sunday and somehow or another get this hard. They're harder when they walk out than when they came in. And it leads them to more sin. And he didn't just preach a message just to make people smarter. He preached a message that was profitable. What did he say, though? And this is something that I think is tricky in our culture today. He says, I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is not very complicated. That is not complicated. Urging Jews and Greeks alike to have a radical life change before God, a repentant life change. And an equally radical trust. Paul's saying, I preached everything everywhere to everyone. And I preached the message with its intent to bring radical change. That's what I did. As we have walked through the book of Acts over these last four, almost five months, working on five months, Repentance has been the central call of this apostolic message. But the repentance they preached, here, please hear me, folks. The repentance they preached was not merely just get a change of mind about who Jesus is. Because the Jews could go, okay, now I believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. It was way deeper than that. It was about turning from sin. It was about going this way. And the word teshuva, I think it is. I don't have my notes here, so I'm about to probably get off track here. But teshuva, it is to return back to. It really literally means return back to your original state. In other words, repentance is more than, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it anymore. It literally is a transformation of taking you back to what you were originally designed to be. That's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. It's more than just saying I'm sorry. It's more than just saying I got caught. It's more than just saying I feel guilty. It is about God transforming you back to what you were originally designed to be. That is a big deal. We see in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching his first sermon. What I love about what Peter and Paul and these guys, they didn't spend a lot of time Telling people how great they are. You're okay. I'm okay. Hey, we're just all okay. <laughs> yeah, if you're reading that into Peter, that is not what they did. He knows the world is a fallen place. These apostles know that the world is a fallen place. They know that our nature that we're born with is to go away from God. But he calls us to this radical, radical transformation. I put this note in here, and I don't know if it makes for some of you today. If you're living the way most people around you are living, you're probably on the wrong track.
If you look around each day and go, I look kind of like the rest of the people I go to work with. I'm kind of like the rest of the people that I hang out with. I would just say evaluate that. Because there's many in our day that would argue that repentance has no place in salvation. All all a person needs to do is just believe in Jesus. But let me say this. I believe with all my heart that repentance and faith are the flip sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Because if people don't know that they are sinners in desperate need of God's grace for salvation, it won't be clear why they need Jesus in the first place. If that's not there, if you don't understand that part, how critical it is to understand You know, someone would just like to say in our culture today, well, people are sick, people have got this or that. And I agree, there are times and moments where that may be the case. But if we define everything just as a sickness, why do we need a Savior? Peter goes on in Acts 2. I should have it up on the screen, but I don't. Sorry about that. But it says, when the people heard this in his preaching, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What a great question after you've heard it. What should I do with this? The word cut there, the phrase there, cut to the heart, translates being stung or stunned. Going, oh. And it's obvious and it's real. Let me say this about repentance. Repentance is a choice, but you don't conjure it up. The Spirit begins to stir in you. See, it's not about me preaching hard enough today that you need to go repent. As you've heard me say a hundred times here, if not, my dad's statement used to be, anything I can talk someone into, somebody else can talk them out of. That's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about the Spirit coming into your life and beginning to stun Beginning to show, beginning to you opening yourself up. Because the reality is, as I said earlier, our stubborn nature, our rebellious nature is bent away from this happening. Let me say this about being stunned by the Spirit. It's for it to be profitable. In your life. Oh I don't want conviction. Because man it makes me feel. Eh. Well that's called condemnation. Most of you focus on what you did. Conviction shows you a pathway out. See. Some of you don't like being stunned. Because it makes you feel shameful. I get that. But guilt begins to put us on the path. To conviction, which conviction leads us to repentance and salvation. Or you may already have salvation, but it leads you to repentance. I love what Paul says in Romans 2. And it helps us when we begin to understand that it's God's goodness. It's His, His Spirit and the goodness of God that stuns us. Romans 2, 4, Paul says... Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, 
not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us there. It's beginning to see the honest. Uh, I, I, yesterday, Joel talking about that, that, that idea of, of the wonder of God, the awe of God. It leads us to a place. And one of those is repentance many times. And I, and I believe with all my heart that repentance prepares, prepares the soul to be ignitable. That's where the fire begins to burn. It's where the fire begins to grow when we begin to put those things before God. Paul had dealt with that in his own life. And now he's on a mission that most of us would, would shy away from in a heartbeat. And he goes on to say, Paul does in verse 22, he says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what waits me, awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in every city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But he goes on to say, he says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it, unless I use it, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news. So you would look at this and go, well, Paul is kind of, you know, telling them, repent, you know, repent, turn to Jesus. No, Paul's saying, this is good news. That this is really good news, guys. And Jesus gave me this of the work of telling others the good news. I think it's Luke 17. Jesus is the one that's saying, he says, after I'm crucified and raised from the dead, it will be preached repentance. That's what Paul and, and all these guys are, are preaching this because they know it's the pathway to awesome things. It's good news. But Paul says, I am bound. It's a term we use around here. What he's saying is, I am compelled. It's almost if he doesn't have a choice, but he does. He could choose to rebel against what God's saying. He said, but God's Christ's love in me. And my understanding of Christ's love for me and Christ's love in me compels me to live this out. I almost don't have a choice in it. Because it's so deep within my bones. I don't know about you. And we're trying to do this in helping people. And, I, and, and it may or may not. Not everybody needs this. Paul didn't need it, obviously. Through Uncommon, one of the things we're trying to do is to help people get clarity on what God is burning in them. On what God has assigned to them. Like Paul is saying here. Because I'm going to tell you, I think one of the most inspiring things in the world is a person who has clarity and commitment to their godly passion. One of the most inspiring things is to be around people who have a real clarity on that. It moves people. What I love is, Paul considered himself to be expendable. He must have already had this in his mind, Romans 12, 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's a great thing to put over your speedometer or in the morning, <laughs> every day to read. And don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
But see, Paul was not reckless here. We, we, you know, I, I know we're concerned sometimes sending people, even like we've mentioned already with Jordan today, sending them to places that, were, that are unknown. We're not talking about just being ridiculous, just running into to, to a dangerous place without, without forethought, without, without prayer, without all those kind of things. Paul wasn't being reckless, and he's not suicidal here, okay? <laughs> he cared about his life, but he cared more about the mission he was called to. When he began to step into the Holy Spirit, living through his life, he just realized he was expendable and he was compelled. You know, one of the biggest, I think, one of the biggest uh, hindrances to the work of the gospel is the fact that we count our reputation in our lives way too dear to ourselves. I think it caps I think it caps the good news when we hold that way more dear. And again, you've got to let the spirit lead you in all things. I'm not asking, I'm not you just, when you hear what I'm saying, you're more concerned about that than you are Christ working through you. the mission he's called you to. You know, the summer, a few summers ago, I read a pad, I was on my iPad and got off. I couldn't get my, my, my uh, Bible to click over to. So I, got, as I was in Philippians, I got stuck in King James, you know, which is terrible, you know, but I, I could not get out of it. I was trying to, and I don't mean that at all, but I, I was kind of stuck there. And we've all heard this before, but I've shared it with you before too, a little bit. But Paul is talking basically in Philippians 1, 21 through 23. says, two things, each of which I desire, I earnestly long to be with Christ. And I desire, desire to remain to be useful to the world, to be pressed on or constrained. In other words, he's saying, I, I, both of them I want. But this phrase in the New King James says this. He says, for I'm in a... For I'm in a straight betwixt two. He, so Paul lived in that tension of being anchored here in the harbor like the old days with the ships. He's anchored down, but there's a strong wind blowing him wanting to take him out back onto heaven. There's that tension that's there that I want to be with Christ. That's even better. But useful to the world is me staying here. So Paul wasn't suicidal, folks. (laughs) He wasn't reckless. He was just listening to the Spirit. And when you say it the way Paul said it, those are two awesome options. If I die, I go to heaven to be with Christ. If I stay, I'm going to be useful because Christ decided, and I think it's back to Apostle Paul, uh, I mean, he's talking about David. He said in Acts 13, 36, he said, David served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he died. What a great epitaph. That the day that I'm no longer useful to the mission, please take me home. Paul understood that.
And you'll see in his writings all along the way about the race he was running. He was trying to throw off everything that hindered him. Now think about that, folks. One of the ways Paul applied this was he began to throw off those things that weighed him down. Now we could walk through a lot of things today to say that's a possibility. I started to use my illustration of wearing all kinds of weights and throwing them off, but I forgot about it, so I didn't do it. <laughs> but it had been good if you if I'd been here. Paul says, I'm running a race. I, he goes on, I've run the race really well up to this point, and I'm continuing to run. I'm not even sure what all the race has before me, but boy, I've been, I've been running. And I've been faithful. And I've worked hard at it. But those things that weighed him down, he said, I cannot let them stay on me. They're hindering, not just me, they're hindering the kingdom advancing. Repentance may be some, for some of you. That's the weight you're not willing to drop. You're not willing to walk through that. You're just not willing to. Oh, you've been stunned, 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 stung. But like I said earlier, some of you could walk out of here today, not because of my preaching, but because of God's Word, harder than when you came in. Because you've been stunned. And you go, no, I'm not going there. I'm just not going to. And as a person who walked that for almost 10 years, from the time I was in late high school all the way to my late 20s, there's a word that begins to, that you described just called indifferent or hardening of the heart. You become indifferent to God moving in your life. And when you quit sensing the stung or the stinging or the... That's a scary place to live, in my opinion, for you and for me. He closes out. Verse 36 to 38. When Paul had finished speaking... He knelt down with all of them and prayed. All of them wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Great influencers. Paul says, silver and gold I have not chased after. And great influencers understand this. That the measure of their lives won't be the things they've obtained or the goals they've achieved or the honor they've had. But it will be the impact, the impact on the relationships they've built. Those trophies will be nothing. Jesus says we're moth and rust and varmints <laughs> come and take it away. But what Paul had was a legacy. 
He left something there. I love in Acts 21.1, I think we've got it up there. This is the verse right after the one. And we had torn ourselves away from them. That's deep love. You know who should have the most influence in your life? Is the people who have your best interest at heart. Have you looked around recently so you can ask yourself, who has the most influence in my life? Why could Paul talk to them? Why could Paul say to them, hey, I preached everything to you. If you die and go to hell, that's your deal. I mean, I know I'm getting a little more, but that's what he's saying. Why could he get away with that? Because they watched him for three years. He poured into them for three years. He lived an example before them. Then he looks at them and goes, hey, hey, you need to listen. Repentance and Jesus Christ. God has appointed you. He's assigned you a call. Figure it out. I'm done with you. There you go. Batons, hand it off. That's just sign him to come back up. I remember the last time uh, and it happens sometimes, I'll be honest with you, and I hate to even say it in a public setting like this, with my mom. But it sure happened with my dad. My mom's still alive and, and doing well. Was it was had she's in the hospital this week and some things. But every time I drive away, especially when I drive away, it's one thing to call on the phone, which I do three or four times a week. Sometimes almost every day to talk to her. But when I leave that little trailer house, that uh, mobile home, what's the right word? What's politically correct? But it's nice for her. It's great. When I pull away from there every time, I wonder now. I wonder. When I leave that little town in Wicks, Arkansas, and I get on a plane, I wonder every time, will this be the last time that I see her face to face? Well, Paul wrote some letters, so we know he's still but face to face. I remember leaving my dad on December 2nd. 2010, driving away from that same little house, honking my horn three times like I'd done for a few decades. This is what we did. Knowing that he could no longer talk. That was probably my last time. As I was trying to get back there so it wouldn't be the last time, on December 9th, a week later, at Sky Harbor Airport at the security line, I get that phone call. That he just passed. But I wasn't sad, sad that daddy was gone, but I was not sad that I missed something. Because our goodbyes, ever since I come to Christ and the Lord really got a hold of all of our family, you never worried about it. Because it was kind of a see you later, eating bits in heaven. It's all right. Had to tear them away. The words is we had to tear ourselves. That's how much love was there. I want to be the kind of person. I want to be the kind of man. I want to be the kind of leader and the kind of dad. When it is time. When it is time. 
that there's that little bit of a tearing away, that there was enough about what I had in their lives, there's a void. And I don't mean that they can't be replaced, but I poured enough into them. There's a little bit missing. Not for them to be sad, but because what they're missing is all positive, hopefully. But it starts like Paul did, and I'm not saying I'm there, but Paul, it is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Jesus' first sermon. Paul, repent. Paul, Peter, repent. Here's the answer to start. But man, it's, a, it's the goodness of God that brings us here. It's the goodness of God.